Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Chef Kikuchi to my Darren Bent. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, this is part two of us ranking all 24 managers in the championship. In this episode, we'll be revealing our top 12 If you want to hear 24th to 13th, that's from our episode on Thursday. So make sure you go back and listen to that. We're basing these rankings on how much we would want them in charge of our football club because that's that's the only physical way you can compare the likes of a veteran like Neil Warnock to a relative newbie like Michael Carrick, isn't it? And as always, Justin and I made this list the same way we make all our lists. I make a list, he makes a list, and we merge them together, work out the average position between the two. Uh, Justin, I was listening back to Thursday's episode, and we were saying at the start how much we disagreed on the positions of different managers, but in the actual episode, we didn't disagree that much. It's this episode, really, where there's a lot of negotiating that had to be done. Yeah, we're going to butt heads on quite a few. Um... And I think that's 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 a good thing. I, I think we just have various degrees in how we rank managers. We have well differing degrees in how we rank managers, and I think as does everybody else, as we as we found out on Twitter the last couple of days. But I think especially with these top half managers, there's there's a lot of variables that work with them and against them. There's some that are coming into the league that are completely fresh to it, never experienced championship before. There are some who've got plenty of experience. There's some that have been a very consistent stay in terms of the teams that they managed in the top half of the championship so there are a lot of yeah variables you know, chiming in here that are yeah going to make it difficult to actually hit the outcome but as i say we have we have differing views on on this top 12 and i think that's a, that's a good thing it's fresh it's healthy and i think i think yeah as long as we get our points across well i think it'll be a good a good uh yeah good episode well we may as well begin things off with the manager who we had by far the biggest disparity over not just in this list, but also in last year's list too. It's Enzo Maresca of Leicester City. I had him fourth. Justin Peach had him 20th. <laughs> you had the likes of Matt Taylor at Rotherham, David Wagner at Norwich, above him. So were you essentially saying Leicester would have been better off appointing them? No, as we've pointed out, we're basing this on who we'd want in charge of our clubs. Now, for me, I, I'm not discrediting Leicester's uh, choice to pick Maresca. I think it's a really exciting appointment. I'm excited by it. But there's a lot of variables here that potentially work against Maresco. His lack of experience as a manager, for starters. And I do bring it back to the, how I ranked Errol Bullock, for example. Errol Bullock of Cardiff City has got a, you know, a vast, he's vastly more experience than than Maresca is as a, as a manager. I just think Maresca's coming in with a lot more hype because, because he's coming in from Manchester City and there's that unknown that adds that excitement about him. But for me, his time, his only time as a manager at Palmer didn't go particularly well. He was only there for 14 games. He's not got a depth of experience as a coach either. He's been at West Ham, Sevilla, I think it was Ascona. Um, he was part of the Manchester Manchester City development squad before he, go, before he went to the first team last year, Pep Guardiola. So he's had a year's worth of quite Guardiola shall we say is that enough to become a, an exceptionally gifted head coach at championship level maybe maybe not it's just for me it was just too hard to judge him on on those variables and the fact that he's got a lot of a lot of things to deal with now at Leicester um in that he's got to transform the squad it's a it's a bit of a rebuild at Leicester uh, he's got to transform the squad he's got to get them playing in, in a way that he obviously in his style we're still completely we're not entirely sure as to what he will want to play either we've got a good inkling but it's not a solid inkling is it so yeah I think there are a lot of variables for me that just brought him down and I couldn't I couldn't honestly put him above other managers who have had more recent successes in the championship so you're saying that at Derby County your club you would rather have Matt Taylor and David Wagner instead of Enzo Maresca <laughs> I think that's too simplistic of an argument to make. Well, that's basically uh, what you did with your list. I'm not saying Derby County is my club in this scenario. Well, they're a League One what, club. What club it. are you saying then? Well, I, I'm speaking quite plainly with it. I, 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 if it's a club pushing for promotion, club pushing for the top six, then I'd rather have a manager who 
you know, Matt Taylor's shoes, again, he's, he's relatively unproven at championship level, but he's got experience and he's, he, I think he's on an upward trajectory. David Wagner has got experience of leading a club out of the championship um, in, in Huddersfield as well. So he's got, they've got experience. I'm not saying that I want um that I want them in charge ahead of Maresca. I just don't value them. I just value well, them higher on. at this. No, I'm not. I, I value them you, higher. Justin, you literally made a list on who you would want the most at your club and you put Enzo Maresca below them. Yeah, but as I say, I think it's too simplistic an argument to make. I, I, I simply mean, value... I simply value... from me. No, no. I simply value their contributions higher at this point than Maresca's because he hasn't made any. Simple. No, it's not that simple. You yeah, have literally made a list on who you would want in charge of your football club. That is the main thing we're basing it on. And you put yeah. Enzo Maresca below Matt Taylor and David Wagner. Because as I say, I value their contributions much higher than Maresca's. Who's his, so you'd his rather head. have them in charge of your club? If it makes you happy right now, I'll say that, yes. Well, you're not making any sense. That's my point. I have made sense. <laughs> no, you haven't made sense at all. <laughs> it's the main thing we're ranking them on. And you've put him below them. Yeah, and as I say, I value their contributions in the championship that higher what, what than What does Maresca's. that mean? They've made more contributions. It's well, because they've that. managed in the championship before. Yeah, and as, I, and, and as I was saying with Maresca, really important, he's not got a deep history as a manager. He's not got a deep history even as a coach, as others have. So for me, it's just hard ranking him higher than others that have more experience simply as a manager and as a coach. But it's about taking a chance on him. And they have done. Great, but... I'm not. A, I'm not that type of person. I'd rather have someone who's had experience. That's just me. And again, it's it's a personalised list, and we've made those lists as you keep as you keep pointing the fact to. Mm. Well, here's my perspective on it. I can accept that no one knows how well Enzo Maresca's going to do. His only prior managerial experience is a short spell at Parma. But if your new manager was the assistant to possibly the greatest manager in the history of football and you played a key role in helping them win an historic treble. That's incredibly exciting. Every fan at any club from mid-table Premier League downwards would be excited by that. When it comes to learning from the best, Maresca has literally done just that. You look at how Mikel Arteta's done at Arsenal. He was in Maresca's shoes five years ago. The thing is, as well, you don't become Pep Guardiola's coach if you're, or his assistant even, if you're some Sunday league coach. You only get that job if you are truly a world-class coach. So the potential with Maresca is enormous. And you've got to be looking towards the top end of the list. Yes, there's plenty of examples of excellent assistant managers not doing very well in the top job. See Paul Clement. But if you're looking to gamble on a coach, you can't get a much better CV than what Enzo Maresca has. Plus, you know, the football is going to be great to watch. So, yes, it's a gamble, but it's definitely worth it. It's a, yeah, I just think you're basing it on maybes. I think that's the only thing. Of course, and again, Rogers, and you're basing everything on maybes in this list, really. Well, yeah, but at least the, the maybes I've based it on are a little bit more factual. Um, and again, you allude to being under a world-class coach. Mikel Arteta had a lot more time under Pep Guardiola than Maresca has, for example. Um, and again, going back to the Paul Clement thing, Paul Clement was number two to Carlo Ancelotti for quite a considerable amount of years and was a really poor manager. Was a really poor manager. Arguably shouldn't have been sacked at Derby, but that being said, reading a book into it, lost a lot of players' confidence. Um, and then his Reading spell was a disaster as well, or a near disaster as well. So I don't think that quite works either. So for me, there are, just, there are a lot of warning lights with Maresca. I think, I, I, I believe he will be a success because Leicester are, are, are fully equipped to... Well, you believe there are warning lights? Yeah. I, I, you can have both. You, you can't fully blindly go into someone and say they're going to be a success without there being, well, they might not be. You've got to consider those those aspects as well. And I, I think there are plenty there for me not to push him higher than others who have had successes in this league, for example. We'll move on because we've spent way too much time on one manager already for <laughs> this episode. Um, let's go to number 11th, where, where we have Tony Mowbray of Sunderland. Now, I think Tony Mowbray is an interesting case because he did an incredible job last season 
got Sunderland a top six place, becoming the first newly promoted team to do so since 2015 in the championship. An even more impressive achievement considering they had the worst injury crisis in the division and the youngest squad also did it playing arguably the best football in the league. For my money, it was the best football in the league. A truly phenomenal job and he deserves a lot of respect for that. However, I believe Sunderland's aim this season will be promotion. I have my doubts over whether he can do that. And I think those doubts are shared by those at the top of Sunderland. I reckon the club hierarchy may be looking at the manager and be thinking we can do better. Of course, there were rumours a month or two ago about his job could be under threat. I get the sense that might, that might be a case of no smoke without fire. But if we look at him in the context of this list, he's a great veteran manager. I think he's the kind of guy who can take a club struggling in the championship or the top end of League One and leave them in the top half of the championship, leave them in a much better place. Can he take you any further? I'm not too sure personally. I would love to be proved wrong because I've got a ton of respect for him as a manager and as a person, actually. Yeah, I think he's a great guy. And he's, he's post-match, oh, he's pre-match press conferences, I should say, are always really entertaining. Um, the man absolutely loves Revels, for example. Uh, but I, I would almost put him in a similar category to Nigel Pearson, where they're, they're a steady hand. Um, they're a steady hand. You know what you're getting out of them. They're very positive and they can galvanise a football club. Uh, but I think the big difference in, in, in those two managers is Tony Mowbray's had a lot more success over the last couple of years than, than Nigel Pearson has by getting into the playoffs, by getting into the top half, for example. Um, so that's the big difference between those two. And as I say, I think whether whether or not Sunderland are aiming for promotion, I think Tony Mowbray's a good enough manager to at least put them in a conversation where where, where they're, yeah, they're, they're in conversation for promotion. Simple as that, really. If you go back to last season, top six finish, you mentioned the injury record, they had no centre-backs, for example, for the closing weeks of the season, no fit centre-backs. Um, actually, no centre-backs at all. Luke 9 and Trey Hume were, were deployed at centre-half and they're not centre-halves. Ellis Sims was recalled in January, Ross Stewart injured for two-thirds of the season, constantly having to, to spin plates and those plates have had really big cracks in them. So what he, was mani- what he managed to deliver was incredible, really. And again, you go back to his time at Blackburn, past successes, uh, the way he developed players like Adam Armstrong, Ben Branton Diaz, Scott Wharton broke through under him. It's, lo- it's a long list of players. The same is happening uh, at Sunderland. So again, if you're looking at wanting to improve individual players, improve your squad over time, um, and as you say, if you if you're wanting to um, come up from League One or stabilise as a Championship club and, and and push on, Tony Mowbray's the man. He's he's very much the man. And I think he's quite a fluid manager as well. He can he can play that counter attacking football or he can switch it on and, and play front foot in possession as well. So yeah, I don't think there are many that have uh, the strengths that Tony Mowbray has in a in a package. Um, he's a very unique manager, I think, but but one that has delivered some degrees of success over the last five years. In number ten, we have Ryan Lowe of Preston North End. I believe Ryan Lowe is an excellent young manager at championship level. The only thing is he's not really got much to show for it so far, has he? Two mid-table finishes with Preston. However, that is in large part down to the little backing he's had since joining Preston at the end of 2021. He's had three transfer windows prior to this one and they've only spent money in the way of transfer fees on one player and that's the goalkeeper, Freddie Woodman. So the fact they've sustained a mid-table position and even flirted briefly with the playoffs last season shows he's doing a good job. I reckon if he was in charge of a club who heavily backed him, he'd get them top six. Preston haven't been doing that. It looks like they might be doing it to a degree this summer. They've just signed Mads Frokiaia Jensen from Denmark and Dwayne Holmes from Huddersfield. They'll need a bit more. Than just that, if they do want to have a decent crack at the top six and push on from being in mid-table obscurity. But Preston 100% have the right man in charge. It's just about whether they want to back him in the transfer market. If not, wouldn't surprise me if he departs to pastures new at some point. This is the frustrating thing with Preston. And something that we've mentioned quite a few times is that we're not looking for them, or we're not suggesting that they spend five, ten million pounds in a transfer window like other clubs do. But it's either just going out and getting 
free agents who are available um, and, and really make a, con- a concerted effort to beef out that squad for, for Ryan Lowe because looking into the detail of it he's still dealing with the hangover well, I say hangover he's still dealing with the the handover is probably a better phrase to use from the Alex Neal reign several key players have left without being replaced you've got Ben Davis Ben Pearson have they actually been properly replaced I don't think so all the while he's not been able to extensively recruit himself and he's relied heavily on loans so for me, I think he's overachieved at Preston in, in his 18 months there, whilst playing an attractive style of play. Um, you look at Tom Cannon, Cameron Archer, they're players who have flourished under Ryan Lowe, two loan signings, good young players. They've scored goals. It shows that his style of play works. Uh, Alvaro Fernandez again, as the season went on, grew into the season uh, for Preston. Liam Lindsay was a top five centre-back last season, for, for my money, a stati- statistically brilliant. So there are a lot of factors there that work in Ryan Lowe's favour. It's just the club needing to back him. Again, you look at Josh Onomer and Daniel Johnson who departed. I know Daniel Johnson wanted a new challenge, but Josh Onomer, for example, could they have done more to keep him? Could they have done more to convince him to stay? And it's you know, if it comes down to finances, then then that's where Preston gets stuck, and that's where I think Ryan Lowe cuts a frustrated figure. Um, so it's a case of he's a really talented manager, but the club needs to back him. And if they don't, then they could they could end up losing losing him because I, I think Ryan Lowe's got. A lot of potential in this league, maybe even higher. He's shown that this season or this past season with Preston. Yep, I'd agree with that, Justin. In ninth place, we have Gary Rowett of Millwall. Now, get ready, ladies and gentlemen. This is another one that we disagreed quite a lot on. Justin, you had Gary Rowett miles ahead of me on your list. You had him in sixth above Mm -hmm. the likes of Russell Martin, Tony Mowbray, Stephen Schumacher. Do you really think he's the... Sixth best in regards to this list? Not much has changed from my opinion of him last season. Um, and I think I had him in around sixth last season as well. I rate Guy Rowlett really, really highly. Um, I think last season only sort of solidifies it. And no Millwall dropped off and that does work against him a little bit. And so perhaps a ninth place in this list is, 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 is fair. But his tactical awareness, I don't think there are many better than him in the league. I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure there are many that switch formations as regularly as he does between the two that they they particularly did last season, the three at the back to the four at the back. They can be a turgid, turgid boring defensive team and they can switch it around as well. Um, I mean, his stock might drop off if Millwall fail to challenge for a playoff place this season. But for me, he's delivered playoff finish for, for Derby. Was sacked when Stoke were ninth, albeit underachieved, but they were still ninth and in in the conversation for playoffs at the point of his sacking. Um, and he's and he's brought Millwall up from what was a club that was flirting with being a yo-yo club to to League One to being a bona fide playoff contender every season, or at least in the play uh, playoff conversation every season. So yeah, for me, I, I like him a lot, and he gets the fans behind you. It doesn't matter who who he's managed; the fans have always been behind him, apart from Stoke. Um, so yeah, he's he's got a lot for me going for him. But as I say, I do recognise that if they if Millwall do struggle to get into that playoff place this season, or at least finishing around the playoffs this coming season, I think his stock will drop off. Hmm. Here's my take. I've said it before, and I've said it. I'll say it again. Gary Rower is very good at doing just a good job. He's guided Millwall to four consecutive top-half finishes when a really good job would be at least a playoff finish at some point in there. He got Derby into the playoffs when a really good job would be promotion. He got Birmingham two top-half finishes when a really good job would be a playoff finish. We'll let let him off his stoke because no one's done a good job there. As experienced as he is at this level, probably one of the most experienced in the division actually at this point – what are his outstanding achievements? Has he ever done anything at this level that qualifies as outstanding? Possibly the job he was doing at Birmingham before he got sacked, but no one can say for sure how that season would have ended if he hadn't have been unceremoniously sacked. So I'm not sure why you had Rowett so high in your list, Justin. There are plenty of other managers in the league who I'd be much more excited by. I think that's fair, but as I say... You know that he's going to get you in and around the playoffs, no matter what your team is, no matter what they do. You had Birmingham City in and around the playoffs when he was sacked. Derby playoffs, Millwall in and around the playoffs, Stoke in and around the playoffs when they're sacked. So you know they're going. You know he's going to get 
not the best out of them, but certainly a lot out of your squad. He's shown that he can manage with restrictions. Birmingham City, they're well documented. Millwall, we know that they're not a big spending club and actually one of the lowest budgets in the club, probably up until this summer. Now they're starting to spend a little bit. So you know what he's going to deliver. And I think that guarantee really is where his value lies. You know what you're going to get from him. You know you're going to get a team pushing for the playoffs, no matter what your what, what, no matter what your team is. And I said it last season. Uh, what I said last season was I think the vast majority of clubs probably 22, 23 out of 24 would like Gary Rowett in charge or would be successful with Gary Rowett in charge maybe not so many this season but I still say the vast majority of the division will be successful with Gary Rowett in charge Who have we got in 8th place Justin? (laughs) We've got the man the myth the man who should be knighted Neil Warnock and it's a very it's a very easy one and maybe Maybe he should be higher, maybe he should be lower. But for me, the fact that he managed to deliver a minor miracle last season, it's just incredible. In February, March, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was early March, actually. Um, I think us supporters and journalists writing for Huddersfield pretty much resigned them to relegation, which almost seemed to spark the team into gear and him. Um, He's a manager who continues to exceed expectation. Um, and again, his man management style is a, is a big reason why. Just look at the turnaround in Josh Caroma. He's an example that I've used time and time again. Shipped off on loan to Portsmouth. Really poor at Portsmouth. Did not pull up any trees at all. Comes back in January. Again, <clears throat> doesn't look like he's got a future under Mark Fotheringham. Neil Warnock then comes in and he's then becomes an integral member to the team. He's now signing a new, a new two-year deal. It's that sort of turnaround in players that he brings. And that's the sort of turnaround in players that not many managers can can do. They were, I'll still say this, and I'll, I'll, I'll back it to the hilt. I don't think that squad was good enough to stay in the, the division last season, but the Neil Warnock factor made them good enough to stay in the division last season. He squeezes every ounce of quality out of a team, and he did that with Huddersfield last season. And that's why he's eighth, along with his previous successes. Simple as that. Out of all the managers on this list, I think Neil Warnock was the most difficult to place because hmm. ultimately he's the best manager ever at championship level. His achievements, no one comes close. His longevity, no one comes close. Pulled off an absolute miracle last season with Huddersfield because they did look so far gone, managed to keep them up. Should he be relaxing in a nice cottage in Cornwall at his age? Yes, he probably should, but he just can't shake that bug no matter what Sharon says. Look, I think most fans would quite enjoy it if Warnock was appointed at their club. The interviews alone would probably make it worth it. Would it be a good idea? I'm not sure. It depends at what level, I suppose. If you look at it from a Huddersfield perspective, I'd be quite confident in saying right now they won't go down next season, mainly because they've got Neil Warnock in charge. If you're looking further up the table, I'm not sure he'll have quite the same impact. For example, his spell at Middlesbrough wasn't anything out of the ordinary so perhaps his magic at a certain level isn't once what it was but he can be an effective manager to have on a short-term basis as Huddersfield found out last season well that that's it isn't it um (laughs) his age does work against him which is unfair but at 75 um there is a degree of you know, there's not going to be a longevity there with Neil Warnock. But I think it's I think the key thing here to consider is that he's been trusted with the transition and handover by Kevin Nagel, the new Huddersfield owner, to, to essentially manage. He needs a steady, experienced head in, in, in at the club, Kevin Nagel, this is. And he's chosen Neil Warnock. He's chosen Neil Warnock ahead of Lee Bromby, who was the uh, head of football operations, whatever. Um, and that, that just goes to show that the value Neil Warnock brings, you know what you're going to get out of him. And I, I'd be very confident in saying that Huddersfield more than likely will not go down this season. Okay, they need to add in a January transfer window at the time of recording. Sorry, in the in a summer transfer window at the time of recording. But it's just Neil Warnock. There's no, you just, he's, he's going to uh, he's going to transition that team. He's going to guide them into into a new era. He's the man to do it. And again, if you've got a, if you if you have a team who need to do the same. Neil Warnock's the man. It just probably isn't going to happen any time uh, or any further than uh, uh, than the end of this season. 
let's go to seventh place where we have Russell Martin of Southampton. Now, you didn't have Russell Martin as high as I did, Justin. You had the likes of Gary Rowett, Neil Warnock, Tony Mowbray ahead of him. So, again, are you effectively saying Southampton would have been better <laughs> off getting in any of them? No, I'm saying that I value their contributions higher than Russell Martin's. It's it's a really simple... Yes, it does. Yes, it does. The yes, remit does. of this list is basing it on which manager you would want most in charge of your club. Yeah. So basically you're writing off a good chunk of managers because a good chunk of them haven't managed in the championship before. That's that's fair. But again, there are other factors that I've alluded to that I base my list on, i.e. upwards trend, hype, um, the, the trajectory that they're going in. Russell Martin's got all Rowett, of that. Rowett, Warnock and Mowbray have more <laughs> hype trajectory on them than Russell Martin. Yeah, Warnock's, Warnock's going to last over 20 years. Um, no, I'm being serious I, when I ask that, by the way. No, no, I know, I know, I know. For me, again, that is coupled with the, the contributions at championship level. Um, the managers you mentioned there have had a lot more successes in championship than Russell Martin has. Um, and, you know, Gary Rowett finished above Russell Martin last season. So did, so too did Tony Mowbray. Um, so the, those managers again, they they did better for me. Swan he's still a, a young and experienced manager, Russell Martin, and I do think there is a degree of fortune that he's very lucky to have got the job at Southampton, whilst not having that backing of a promotion behind him. That being said, I think he overachieved at Swansea. That doesn't mean I don't value him or I don't think he's a better manager than others. I just Again, if we're basing it on who I want in charge of my club, I'd rather have the likes of Gary Rowett, um, Tony Mowbray, any, anyone like that. Um, but again, if you if you dig into it with 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 uh, Russell Martin, there are a lot of issues at Swansea last season that needed to be rectified that weren't rectified. Their ability to manage games, for example, um, how easy they were to cut through at times. A lot of it was personnel, um, but there's a degree of awareness that Martin needs to have that if his sort of style of play isn't getting the results, he needs to tweak things. And he didn't last season. He persisted. Yes, they rode out that, that poor runner form, but at the end of the day, things could have been a lot better for Swansea had he adjusted things a little bit. And it's just that experience that works against him. I can understand why there are Russell Martin sceptics <clears throat> out there. He gets praised far and wide for his style of play. He wants to play out from the back. He wants to take risks on the face of it, hasn't achieved too much in the game so far. 19th place finish and then 13th place with MK Dons in League One. 15th place and then 10th with Swansea. Nothing extraordinary. His teams do concede a lot of goals as well. So he certainly still has a lot of learning to do as a manager. But it's easy to forget he is the second youngest manager in the championship, even though it feels like he's been in the dugout for a long time now, he's still only really at the beginning of his coaching career. At Swansea, he didn't get a huge amount of backing and had to deal with a lot of talent going out the door. The style of play is a big selling point with him too. When it works, it's beautiful. When it doesn't, it doesn't look great. But if you have better players like he will do at Southampton, those mistakes won't be as frequent. Russell Martin's one of the best young managers in the country right now. Southampton have recognised his potential and have invested in him. It's a wise investment as well. I just wish Justin Peach would recognise his potential and invest in him. I'm a little bit more objective than you. I, I'm, you're, you're, you're very feeling-based, which is absolutely fine. Well, Justin, um, Justin th think about it this way, right? Look at the managers who got promoted last season in the championship. You had Vincent Company, who was a complete and utter gamble mm -hmm. coming in after a fairly so-so spell over in Belgium. Paul Heckingbottom wasn't attracting anyone else in the championship when he got appointed at Sheffield United. You look at Rob Edwards, just been shoved out on his arse after leaving Watford, um, was a gamble in itself. And then you look elsewhere in the championship, the other clubs who did well, Mark Robbins, who you know, has been at Coventry for years now, so he doesn't really count. Um, you had, oh, I'm struggling to forget who you got there now. Middlesbrough, Michael Carrick was a complete gamble as well. Didn't have any managerial experience, really. Um, and then also Tony Mowbray was, is a bit more of a steady head. But again, I suppose you could somewhat say he's a gamble as well because he wasn't really attracting much interest elsewhere from the championship either. So you've got to take a gamble. You can't just base it on, oh, look, he's done well in the championship before. Let's appoint him. Yeah, that's, uh, they're fair variables. It's just not the variables I would factor in when I'm choosing my list. 
you can't discredit how I choose my list because you do it differently. I like Russell Martin. I think he's got a lot going for him. He's, he's, he's young and he's, and he's coming up and he's going to learn a lot at Southampton. Um, but there are just other managers I'd rather have in charge of my club because of because of factors that I, I, I chose my list on. Um, for example... Including Gary Rowett, Neil Warnock, Tony Mowbray. 100%. 100%. 100%. Um, wow. Look... I, I, I think Russell Martin's got a lot of potential and I think the Southampton is going to make or break him as a manager. If it doesn't go very well, then it's, they, 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 I don't know where he goes from there. Simple. Right, we'll take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the our top six managers in our list. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So this is our countdown of the top 24 managers in the championship and we're now on to our top six. And I just want to take this moment to talk directly to the listener for a second. If you've been listening to the podcast over the past six or seven months, maybe even the last year, then here's a question for you. Which manager who hasn't managed a championship game before has been mentioned more times on this podcast than any other by Justin Peach? That's right. It's Plymouth's Stephen Schumacher. So why, oh, why did Justin Peach have him so low down in his list? He was 10th on his list. He's 6th in our combined list, but 10th in Justin Peach's. It's the same reasoning as, as Michael Duff. Um, now, annoyingly, I've only written praise in my notes here, so I'm <laughs> trying to justify why I had him so low whilst actually praising him so highly. Uh, I think it's just the... Um, there's a little bit of the unknown factor um, with Stephen Schumacher. It's the same with McKenna and, and Michael Duff. And I think I just want you to be fair in my assessment of Michael Duff and Schumacher because I think they're on a similar similar level. It's, it's a hard one to justify. That being said, there's a, a lot there's a lot what there's a lot of reasons why I like him. There's a lot of reasons why I like him. He's overachieved with Plymouth. There's a great article in The Athletic from um, Nancy Frostick about the rise of Plymouth and that provides a lot of depth and context as to why he's an exciting manager. And I guess it's the same reasoning as Russell Martin is that the, the, the very young play attractive style of play it's about how they adapt. It's about how they adapt those teams and we've not really seen Plymouth and Schumacher adapt, have to adapt yet. So it's the unknown factor. One league, one with a mid-table budget um, and you've mentioned, you said that I, I mentioned Schumacher a hell of a lot. Um, there are only a handful of teams that I've sort of set up and come away from Pride Park saying, Christ, they were bloody good. Wolves in 17-18, uh, Leeds lead side um, and Schumacher's Plymouth side. They were incredible. Uh, and they will play some incredible football, but it's about how they adapt to the championship. So again, it's just, I don't think he's as adaptable as other managers, which probably pulled him down a little bit. It's just that unknown area that I put them in. That is the reason why I'm not ranking him as highly as as another League One manager who was promoted last season. Well, I had Stephen Schumacher third in my list because I'm not the kind of guy who praises him, but then bottles him when it comes to a <laughs> list like this. Stephen Schumacher is another manager who's one of the most exciting young coaches in the country right now. You could have not asked him to do a better job last season win the league with the second biggest points tally in League One history. That's despite Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday having the biggest points tallies ever for second and third place sides. Did it with a tiny budget compared to the rest of the teams around them. Did amazingly in developing the young talent there and taking their game to the next level. And they won promotion playing some great football along the way. What more could he have realistically done to improve on the job he did last season? It was truly remarkable. He'll need another remarkable season with Plymouth this coming season, but I see no reason why it can't happen. So far, his managerial career has been nothing short of spectacular. And at the age of just 39, it's exciting to think where it could go. I imagine there could be a few clubs in the championship who will regret not trying to lure him away from Plymouth last season when they had the chance, but Plymouth have got hold of him and they are reaping the benefits of taking a risk on someone like him, which is why sometimes, Justin, it's worth taking a risk on managers. <laughs> um, who have we got fifth? 
We've got Carlos Corbran of West Brom. Um, this seemed a fairly easy one, probably one of the easy ones in this top half is you want Carlos Corbran in around that, that top six because you know what you're going to get from him. He, he creates a very defensively structured team and allows the attacking players to flourish in that team as well. There's a bit of a press there, but mostly they, they, they're on the conservative side, but it's a, a style of play that gets results. And really, what is there not to like about Carlos Corbran? He wears chinos on the touch touch line. That's a big that's a big plus in terms of championship fashion. <laughs> championship fashion, um, and again, looking at it more of a from a team uh, team focused. West Brom immediately improved under him last season. And really, it was his third third full season as a manager, wasn't it? With West Brom, yep. Which is incredible, really. The fact that he's delivered two top half finishes, one one a playoff finish with Huddersfield. Um, and as I say, team immediately improved under him and they were well geared for an automatic push-up until January. Then the injuries started to mounting up. It was clear recruitment wasn't, was, was, go, was going to be limited and form ultimately dropped off. But he stayed in hunt for the playoffs nonetheless, which I still think is a remarkable feat considering where they were when Carlos Corbran took over and considering where they were under Steve Bruce as well. The club was toxic. Behind the scenes, it still is toxic, but the fans are behind the team. They weren't behind the team under Steve Bruce, and that's a big, that's a that's a big plus. He says he says he says the right things in a good way. He doesn't just say them for the sake of saying them. Carlos Corbin knows he's going to essentially provide what he what he backs up. And as I say, his, his time at Huddersfield turning a, a relegation threatened team into a playoff finalist, and then that team becoming a relegation threatened team again, highlights his quality as a manager and his value. To any club in this division, I think. Yeah, I think Carlos Corbran is in a bit of a strange position because I think we're looking at a talented manager in charge of a club that's going backwards. His career so far has been excellent. First season at Huddersfield wasn't great, but it was his debut season, if you like. So we'll let him off. Third place in his second season with a limited budget. Unbelievable achievement. Goes to West Brom, takes them from relegation zone to top half, flirting with the playoffs. That's despite the chaos behind the scenes with an owner who's neglecting the club. And that's the main reason why West Brom are going backwards. The squad's almost certainly going to be weaker next season. So it leaves him in an awkward position where he's probably not going to get much backing this summer. If he was in charge of West Brom 12 months ago, could be in the Premier League right now. If he was in charge of a lot of championship clubs, it would strengthen their promotion chances in my eyes. Unfortunately, though, he's having to work with the hand he's been dealt at West Brom, where the club is going backwards and his career is going forwards. Mm -hmm. But if he's not careful because he's in charge of a club like West Brom that is going backwards, his career might not be going as forwards as it once was. Uh, in fourth place, we have Daniel Farker at Leeds United. Oh, this is one we disagreed on. Uh, I had Daniel Farker eighth. Justin had him second. Mm -hmm. Just continues to be the theme of us being on very opposite sides of the fence over this appointment, doesn't it? But would you really have him second in your list, Justin? If you could handpick any manager in the championship to be in charge of your club, he'd be your second choice, would he? 100%. You'd be farking mad if you didn't. He's... Hey. he's <laughs> <laughs> his, his points per game at this level at championship level is 1.8 in two of his three years he won the league twice yes Premier League with the Norwich wasn't good we know that but if you want a team pushing for promotion then Daniel Farker's the man plays an attractive style of football which is a big plus and so if I want a manager who's going to play an attractive style of football gets a team scoring goals progresses young players like Farker does he ticks all of the boxes he ticks the same boxes you'd argue as Neil Warnock does, albeit with less experience in that Neil Warnock wasn't great in the Premier League, but you know what you're going to get from him in the Championship. It's promotion. Daniel Falk has proved that. Two of his three seasons, his team have won the league. It's as simple as that. And again, he knows how to get the best out of a team. He knows where to identify strengths and essentially work on them. You look at the partnership between Buendia and Pukit at Norwich. I think Leeds have got good technical players who are going to thrive under Daniel Farker next season. And again, that pressing aspect is what the Leeds players are used to. So that's going to be a nice transition for them. I'm excited by the appointment. And again, if you want a manager who's guaranteed to get you promoted, Daniel Farker is, is at least one of the higher candidates in that, uh, in that yeah, variable, shall we say. You're going as far to say guaranteed, are you? I would, I would. You've already yeah. said it now. 
yeah, I'll, I'll stick by that. I'll stick by that. Hmm. Well, I, I think you, you're talking about simplistic ways of looking at things. I think you're looking at it very simplistically, <laughs> Justin. For me, it's way too easy to look at Daniel Farker's championship record and say, this man will get Leeds promoted. At Norwich, he was very much helped by having two extremely talented players in Emmy Brandia and Timmy Puki, plus a few others who were signed around that time when Stuart Webber's recruitment was actually good. Did take him a full season to get going as well. He was tactically naive when they're in the Premier League. That was brutally exposed. He's also coming off the back of a poor season at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Now, on the basis of his championship record, he deserves to be in the top 10. I'll give him that. Style of play, also a big plus. Is he the same manager though? A manager's perspective can change quite drastically after two consecutive bad seasons and very different circumstances at a different club because this is a completely different environment to what he had at Norwich City. There's also this. Let's say he does get Leeds promoted. His record in the Premier League is awful. And there are at least 10 managers in the Championship right now who are better long-term options than him. So that's why he shouldn't be so high on this list. I mean, second place is just outrageously high in my eyes. But it's, I'm not basing it on his exploits as a Premier League manager. I'm basing it on his exploits as a Championship manager. Because this is a you know, a team a manager who I want in charge of my my championship team. Would you again, rather have he, a long term option though, Justin? Yeah, I don't think Leeds fans will care if, if he gets him promoted though, um, and he gets sacked within three weeks. I don't think they'll care. They just need to get out of this division. And Daniel Farker's got experience of providing that and proving that. But, but um, hang on, hang on. Let, let's put you in the situation where you're in charge of this nameless championship club who are mid table. Mm -hmm. Surely you'd want a long-term option, wouldn't you? And Daniel Farker, you'll admit, isn't a long-term option, is it? But again, he's still a young manager. He's still got a lot of learning to do. Um, I think he's actually one, the, one in the top half of older managers at this point. <laughs> what's 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 classed as old in the championship now? It must be like 44. Uh, well, 45. I, I was looking at the average age, and the average age is really young. So I think he might be actually one of the <laughs> older, right, right. older managers. He's um, young, but he's old, shall we say. Um, so I, I do think he's got time to, to, to learn and adapt. And again, he's doing it, I think, with higher quality players at least than he had at Norwich. Um, I think that's a key thing. His recruitment at Norwich was really poor when they are in Premier League. So he wasn't exactly helped by by that. They signed Sam Byron, for example, who had lots of experience at, at Premier League level, but wasn't, wasn't particularly desirable, shall we say, uh, as a Premier League defender. Um, that's just an example. So for me, I do think recruitment has let him down. So I do think the jury's still out on what he can do at Premier League level. I'm willing to take that risk if I'm in charge of a championship club because I know he's going to get me out of the championship and I know if I invest properly, invest rightly, recruit appropriately, shall we say, not Victor or to recruit, but you know, be a bit more pragmatic with it and a bit more smarter with it, then you give him the tools to be a success and we see what happens. In my it's mind, the jury's already made his verdict on Daniel Farker in the Premier League, I'll say that much. Um, let's go to number three, Justin, where we have Mark Robbins of Coventry City. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the man, Justin Peach, had top of his list. Mm -hmm. Take it away, One, JP. 100%. I had him top, and I don't think there's a better manager in the league, in my opinion. Cov Coventry finishing the top six last season was nothing short of spectacular, and I think saying it's a miracle does it a disservice because... I mean, whilst it had those aspects, it, it really it was it was a, a continued drive, um, a continued purposeful drive from from Robbins and his team. It was incredible, really. Um, you look at his impact on individual players, for example, Victor Giacres turned him in from turned him from a, a 1.2 million pound striker into a 20 million pound striker euros. That is, um, he, he essentially became the most complete striker in the division. Gus Hamer has become the most complete midfielder in a division. Ben Sheaf, one of the best ball-winning midfielders in a division. They continue to recruit like that. This is going to be an incredibly good team. And I do think they're going to continue to recruit like that. He managed, he's managed to turn Coventry essentially into a guaranteed top-half team on peanuts. He's managed to do it with nothing. Um, Dom Hyam, for example, was sold. And that, was, that paid for the new pitch at the CBS last season. He's a manager who just he just gets it. He just he just knows what to get out of his team. He knows how to improve his team. 
tactically, again, I think he's quite flexible. They can play on the front foot. Last season, last season was, was a lot more conservative. Had to be because he just didn't have any players to play, I think, the way Mark Robbins wants to. I think that's going to change this summer. And I think it's an exciting period that we've got to look forward to with Coventry and Mark Robbins. I like him a lot. He's top, in my opinion. This isn't me, this isn't me trying to catch you off guard, Justin, or anything like that. It's just a genuine question. Do you think he would do a good job if he was in charge of another club? Or do you think he might be a Coventry version of Nathan Jones? This is this is the tough thing, isn't it? It's that Nathan Jones factor. I think we had Nathan Jones second last season, didn't we? Up in mm. and around the, the top. And we were burnt. We were burnt because he went to Southampton. It was a disaster. Stoke was a disaster. But Mark Robbins has had various degrees of success at other clubs, which makes me think... Um, that he, he can adapt to other teams. Again, if I was a high-spending Leeds, for example, and Mark Robbins didn't just sign a new five-year deal, I'd be selling my soul to the Championship Devil to to, to, to bring him in, to Kevin Muscat, shall we say, to, to bring him in. <laughs> because I, I do rate him that highly. Um, and whilst he doesn't have the same successes as he does at the likes of Huddersfield and Barnsley that he does at Coventry, he has had good spells elsewhere. Like, Nathan Jones hasn't, I think, with it's the best way to think sum it up. I do think the job he's done and continues to do gets so sorely overlooked by those outside of Coventry. I always find it amazing when there's a manager who's continuously improved on the season before last in the league pyramid, and that's exactly what Robbins has done now in each full season he's been in charge. To do that over six seasons, League Two to Championship Player Final, outstanding, isn't it? There aren't many managers in the country right now who are doing better in their current job than Mark Robbins is. Maybe if he was an Englishman in his, if he wasn't an Englishman in his mid fifties, who looks a bit like your girlfriend's dad, he would get more credit and more praise from elsewhere around the country. On the other hand, it might be a good thing because if he's not getting that much praise, it means he's less likely to get interest from elsewhere. And that means he's much more likely to stay at Coventry. And if the current trajectory of Coventry under Robbins is anything to go by, then they're on course to finish top four this season and ultimately in the Premier League, aren't they? So look, the the only thing that is stopping me putting him any higher in my list is, would he have the same success as another club? I'm not sure. And also, a lot of the success from the last two years has been down to very two very talented players in Victor Jacarez and Gustavo Hamer. Will that success continue with one of them already gone, the other one possibly leaving? Guess we'll find out this season. Who have we got number two, Justin? We've got Michael Carrick of, of Middlesbrough. Uh, I like Carrick a lot. It's similar to Corbrand in the impact that he's had. The turnaround in form in, in Middlesbrough last season was, was quite remarkable. I think the big difference in Corbrand's turnaround and, and Carrick's turnaround is data-wise, Middlesbrough's performances weren't too bad. They were still producing. They were just weren't performing and clearly cracks under Chris Wilder. So for Michael Carrick to come in, repair those cracks, get the players on board, change the system and to turn around the form at the same time was, was, was quite remarkable and I think showed his potential as a manager. And I think that's what Michael Carrick is at the moment. He is just potential. Um, that being said, I think tactically last season they were great. 4-2-3-1 worked really well. Akpom was in that free role. McGree drifting inside as a creative option. Giles pushing up, providing the width on the left. Um, and then you look at the impact on individuals. Akpom became, well, he had his best season by a million miles. Uh, Ryan Giles was incredible. Tommy Smith came in and was one of the more dependable right-backs in the league because we had slim pickings when choosing our team, team of the season, if I remember rightly. Hayden Hackney again, another player who's thrived under him. There's a lot of potential there with Michael Carrick. I think the only reason why I think marked him down in my list was because of that drop in form towards the end of the season and that failure to recover it. And I think that's what ultimately made them struggle in the playoffs. But as I say, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of things to work on over the last... Um, last eight months that you can look at as posit- as, a, as a positive and say, yeah, I want Michael Carrick in charge of my team. He's, he's shown me that he can be a very, very good manager at this level. Yeah, Michael Carrick's first proper season in management was exceptional. I say first proper season because we won't count that spell as caretaker at Man United. <laughs> Middlesbrough were 21st when he came in, one point above the bottom three. Not playing badly, but not getting results by any means so for them to finish fourth and at one stage look as if they could be automatically promoted 
a very eye-catching turnaround. They were playing some of the best football in the league as well. He's getting the best out of all of the players who were there. Most notably, of course, Tuber Akpom, who went from dispensable to best player in the league. When you take into account his age and also his pedigree as a player and a coach, it's enormously exciting, his potential as a manager. I've even had a cheeky bet on him to be the next Linger manager. I don't <laughs> think anyone can rule that one out because of how far his career could go. And that, that uh, people will look at this and say, you've got Michael Carrick second above, oh, my manager and what have you. He's only been in charge of a club for one season. And I get that. But if you're basing on who you want in charge of your football club, based off what he did last season and his enormous potential, that's why he's such an attractive manager to have at your club. The only concern with me is that drop-off at the back end of last season. Two wins from 10 does take the gloss off a brilliant debut season for Carrick. There could be a number of reasons why that happened. And as long as there's no lasting hangover from that, this will be a thrilling season for Borough with Michael Carrick at the helm. Let's go to number one, Justin. Number one is Kieran McKenna of Ipswich Town. Our number one manager also happens to be the youngest manager in the league. Look, as far as I'm concerned, Kieran McKenna is the best young British manager in the country right now. 37 years old, has already overseen a promotion and transformed Ipswich into one of the best sides ever seen at League One level and one of the most exciting promotion teams to come up to the championship since we've been doing this podcast at the very least, Justin. They smashed the league last season. If it wasn't for a mini slump around the new year, probably would have run the league with a record points tally. Now, people will ask, how is Kieran McKenna top of this list and Stephen Schumacher isn't when he managed the team which finished ahead of them on a smaller budget? And that's a completely fair question to ask. My response to that would be, if you look at the underlying data with expected goals, Ipswich killed League One last season. They were top by quite a distance in terms of goals for and goals against. I think you've also got to take into account his pedigree as a coach. At the age of 32, he was made Jose Mourinho's assistant at Man United and continued to be in the first team coaching staff up until the point Ipswich came calling. He was deemed to be a world-class coach in his early 30s and he's only going to have got better and better with age. He has the potential to become a truly elite manager. And this is only really the beginning for him. There's a reason why so many people are excited about Ipswich this season. Most of that is because of how good a manager Kieran McKenna is. There's a reason why so many big clubs wanted him this summer. There's a reason why Ipswich was so keen to tie him down to a new contract because he is an extremely exciting young manager. Yeah, I've got no complaints with this really. He's, I like you, I rate him very highly. Um, if you look at Ipswich's trajectory prior to, uh, well, well, trending actually, prior to his arrival, Paul Lambert really flat. Things got really well, toxic under him. Paul Cook, um, along with the new ownership, came in, expected to, to push on. They didn't. He was sacked around the new year and then Kieran McKenna came in, steadied the ship and then absolutely blew blew teams away last season. Uh, and you look at the style of play, it's a really flexible style of play. Not only do not only do they thrive in wide areas, both Wes Burns and Leif Davis, the wing backs, collected eleven assists and fourteen assists. 20, 25 assists between them as wing backs is an incredible, incredible feat. And uh, you look at the size of the squad. Freddie Ladapo is another example. Uh, he only started 23 games last season and scored 17 goals in the league. The ability to uh, manage this flexible, fluid, you know, attacking style of play that can be defensive if it needed to be, can be switched on. They were very good from set pieces as well. Um, along with a, a big squad uh, and you know, manage that, I think is it... Goes again at a young age just goes to show how much potential he has as a manager there aren't many managers who could do all of that juggle all of that in your first full season as a head coach I think it's a, a remarkable thing to do and there's no surprise to see several clubs linked with him in the summer uh, a couple of Premier League clubs it's, you know, it was quite bonkers really but it highlights how much potential he has as a manager 
Um, I do think Ipswich are destined for big things under him and him signing a new deal, I think, is probably the most important thing they'll do this summer. Yeah, completely agree with that, Justin. I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. And from my perspective, he's probably the, the, the young coach I'm most excited about ever while we've been doing this podcast. I mean, Vincent Company last season is a fairly... He's probably, he's probably on a similar level, really, him and company, in terms of how far their careers could go because we... I might be completely forgetting someone, Justin, but I can't think of many managers or any, for a matter of fact, who have started their careers in the Football League. A company technically didn't, I suppose, but you see my point. And then gone on to be truly elite managers. Am I forgetting someone? I mean, does Thomas Frank fall into that category yet? He's he's proving himself to be... I suppose. Well, I actually had experience in Denmark, didn't he? So maybe not. No, yeah. you are right. I, I don't think. No, I, I think that. I think we can possibly count Frank in that because he was assistant once at Brentford when he got the job. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can count Frank in that. Whether he is an actual elite coach, at I don't really know. But I suppose he's a contender. Apart from that, I can't think of too many others, can we? No, it's, it's trying to rack my brains now. If you give me another 10 minutes, I'd be able to maybe name one or two, but I'm not we don't sure. have time. We I mean, I, I put Steve Cooper in that category, but he's not really shown it at Forest yet. Having said that, Forest is a bit of a basket case of a club, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at company in McKenna who could be the first truly world-class elite coaches to come out of the championship. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really exciting. And I'm really, really excited to see what McKenna can do with Ipswich this season. And you know what? Fair play as well to Ipswich for taking the gamble on a young coach like him. I always say more clubs should take this approach because there are so many extremely talented coaches out there who are just waiting for the opportunity to get into management. And some of them never will do. We've had clubs benefit from giving a chance to the likes of Michael Carrick, Steve Cooper, as we were just saying, Carlos Corbran as well. Mm-hmm. Possibly Enzo Moresco could be next in line in that regard. So if you're a club who aren't in danger of going down, have relatively low expectations for the upcoming season, why not go out there and give the chance to someone like Kieran McKenna? It's a, yeah, these are all fair points. Uh, again, I probably sit on the other side of the fence where maybe I need a little bit more uh, of, a, of a background in a manager. Because you're a to, dinosaur, Justin. <laughs> it's because I'm a I'm a dinosaur. I'd rather have Neil Warnock than Kieran McKenna. You've heard it here first. Um, that that is a are, joke, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> just get that across. Oh well. Oh well. Um, no, you are right. Young coaches do need the opportunities, and the more they get them, um, I think the more the more we'll see the talent pool increase as as they rise through the leagues. Because I think the likes of Stephen Schumacher, um, Russell Martin, Kieran McKenna, they've got big things ahead of them. They've got big jobs to do this season. Championship and championship really is the is not the make or break of you. But if you're successful in the championship, there's no reason why you can't be successful in the Premier League either. Justin, let's round up our list from the past two episodes then. So we'll kick things off with 24th, where we have Gareth Ainsworth of QPR, bottom of the pile. We have uh, Isco Munoz in 23rd of uh, Sheffield Wednesday. 22nd is Nigel Pearson of Bristol City. 21st is Errol Bullitt of Cardiff City. David Wagner of Norwich City is 20th. Matt Taylor is 19th. He's of Rotherham. 18th place is Alex Neal from Stoke City. In 17th, we've got Valerie Ishmael at Watford. 16th is Liam Rosinia of Hull. And 15th of John Eustace of Birmingham City. 14th is Michael Duff of Swansea. And 13th, John Dahl Thomason at Blackburn. Into our top 12, and we have Enzo Maresca of Leicester City in 12th. 11th is Tony Mowbray of Sunderland. Ryan Lowe of Preston is in 10. And 9th is Guy Rowett of Millwall. 8th place is Neil Warnock of Huddersfield. And in 7th is Russell Martin of Southampton. <laughs> Sixth is Stephen Schumacher of Plymouth. And fifth is Carlos Corbran at West Brom. Fourth is Leeds United's Daniel Farker. And in third, we've got Mark Robbins of Coventry. Number two, Michael Carrick of Middlesbrough. And in first place is Kieran McKenna at Ipswich. Yes, very exciting. A very good list, that actually, I think, Justin. Um, Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been our... Top 24 managers in the championship heading into next season based on how much we would want them in charge of our club. I'm really looking forward to the blowback on that one. On Thursday, we'll be going through each team in the championship and picking a player who we think is going to be key for them 
next season. So on Thursday, we'll do part one, where we'll go through the first half of the clubs alphabetically in the championship. And then the Sunday after, we'll do part two, where we go through the second half of the teams alphabetically in the championship. So you've got that to look forward to as we gear up towards the start of the new season, which isn't that far away now, ladies and gentlemen. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.